the After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Connects Education Academy. Our podcast is here to help teachers, leaders and tutors. We will be discussing the latest issues in education and sharing top tips for use in the classroom, both face-to-face or virtually. and welcome to 2024 and welcome to today's podcast. A warm welcome back from Connects Academy's After the Bell podcast series. I'm Georgie McIntyre, Managing Director and your host today. We're starting the year off focusing on emerging trends in education for the year 2024. From groundbreaking technologies to innovative pedagogies, we're looking at the evolving landscape that shapes the way we teach and learn. We're joined today by Andy Bridge, current Deputy Principal, and Lorna Bradford, our Head of Quality Assurance and Impact. So we're going to start today by focusing on the new year and education emerging trends, what we can look out for in 2024, what we can consider and what are the key discussion points that are brewing. So I think let's start by considering the Beyond Ofsted report, which was published at the latter part of 2023. So movement towards uh, sort of more school performance reviews and looking at uh, focus with school improvement partners. So Andy, would you like to share a bit more about your insights and thoughts around this this potential uh, situation? Yeah, I mean, I think if we start with, um, I don't imagine whatever sector you work in the inspector of that sector is ever particularly popular I don't, you know it's always going to be a a job that people don't enjoy being coming you know having somebody come into your setting and judge and assess you so it's not surprising that Ofsted is unpopular with school teachers and school leaders um having said that this is something that has rumbled on for years and years and years um it, it is a huge bone of contention in the profession about the fairness of Ofsted inspections, the reliability, the high stakes nature, the pressure. You know, obviously we had the tragic um, incident that we talked about in the previous podcast um, with the very sad death of a head teacher. Um, And a lot of these things have kind of come together um, and have culminated in this Beyond Ofsted report. Um, My perspective on it, there are some parts I like. Um, I absolutely think Ofsted needs reforming and needs change. We may see some of that with um, the new chief inspector who is due to start. Um, I, I'm not sure I would be 100% comfortable with purely school to school review um, and that kind of school improvement partner model because there is a huge amount of money spent in education and there is a huge amount of stakes in terms of safeguarding and the children do only get one shot at school. So I'm quite a fan of having a robust quality assurance system um, to make sure that that money is well spent and that the, the children get the very best deal that they can. So I think there should be accountability there, and that is right. Um, I, I'm not 100% convinced about the, the Beyond Ofsted report. I do think there's some positives in it, but I'm not sure in practice if it, it would quite um, turn out to be the the ideal scenario that they're thinking for. I don't know, Lorna, what, do, you, do you disagree? disagree I, I think there's middle ground to be struck there isn't it isn't there um if you think about some of the really big multi-academy trusts they do this type of system anyway already they do internal school to school reviews uh, internal uh, deep dives and um, they have their own monitoring and, and accountability processes 
and for them it, it works to an extent but is that the formal route that we should be going down um like you said accountability is important these young people matter we only get one shot at it uh, it's interesting to see that safeguarding audits would be conducted separately outside of the proposed changes which i think is important and, and valuable um and that movement away from inspecting individual teachers will certainly be music to some people's ears and, and be a concern to, to others. Like you say, Andy, I, I don't think this one size fits all kind of approach is, is going to work. Um, we'll just have to see how it's how it's received. And that will, of course, depend on each individual school's demographic priorities, where they are within the Ofsted system. It's a really contentious issue and I, for one, am quite looking forward to how it un unfolds over the next year ahead. Thank you both. I think it's going to be something that we really will, will see a lot more press about um, and, and see how it expands and, and evolves. So next uh, conversation piece that's uh, floating around at the moment is around attendance and attendance hubs growing. Lorna, is this something that you feel that we're going to see more of this year? Absolutely, Georgie. I, I can't see how we wouldn't see more of this this year, especially given the current statistics around absenteeism in schools being really alarming. And as we spoke about in uh, the last podcast of 2023, um, some schools feel that they're in a really good position now with their teaching and learning. But without the young people in front of them, that's just going down the pan, for want of a better phrase. Um, I don't know um, what what the answer is. I don't think anybody knows what the answer is, but I'm pleased to see um, additional avenues opening up for school to school support, um, local involvement and, and the attendance hubs, using uh, schools where they have managed to increase student attendance as beacons. Um, but of course, that doesn't mean that what works in one school in one postcode can be directly carbon copied into another in another postcode and it would work. This is so much about social dynamics, around the relationships between the community and the school, around mental health. There's you know, a, a really complex layer of um, reasons for absenteeism that need to be unpicked. Um, I think it will be interesting to see how the government approaches are, are welcomed by schools and if it actually does anything to claw it back. Andy, do you think it might be useful in your locality? Yeah, I think it's such a challenging problem. Um, it, I've read quite a bit of research recently into the impact of strategies to try and improve attendance. And I think one thing that a lot of research and studies are now recognising is that punitive measures and punishments don't seem to be the way forward. Um, it, punishing families, increasing fines, um, you know going through the court system doesn't seem to have the positive impact that um people might hope that it would so i think schools are going to have to be more creative in how they look at that um and i think more broadly um the the pisa rankings came out recently kind of ranks um different countries education education systems in, in all kind of manner of ways um was released in the last few weeks and it's really interesting so for example maths outcomes um, England has gone significantly up and we look like we're on a really good trajectory um, with our maths teaching compared to other countries. But the, the one that really shocked me was um, the, the ratings for England for student levels of satisfaction with their education was incredibly low. 
and um, we're, we're one of the bottom countries in the world for student satisfaction with their education so whilst ever we've got those very low levels of satisfaction i think it's going to be a hard sell to get attendance back as high as it once was so there's some huge um huge issues to unpick huge questions to answer if we're going to get a strategy in place that improves attendance so again i think it's a watch this space isn't it and uh, see how we can actually work together to improve uh, attendance across across the board so another big piece of conversation i think in 2024 it was massive in 2023 and i think it's going to continue to bubble along is the use of generative ai and it's a type of artificial intelligence technology that can produce various types of content like text imagery audio and and data the potential opportunities that this creates for teachers developing classroom materials and AI assessment of skills is hugely exciting. However, the content produced by AI can be inaccurate, biased, inappropriate, or often taken out of context or without permission. So it does go without challenge, uh, without its challenges. And I'd, I'd really appreciate some kind of thoughts around this, Lorna, around uh, where we will see um, AI going for 2024? Uh, well, I wish I could answer that with uh, some certainty, Georgie, but with the ever advancing charge of technology, who knows what will, will come next? I think the notion of AI being used to assess skills, student skills, is exciting um, and could be a massive um, bonus in the world of education, especially around retention and recruitment, because it would reduce workload of marking, essentially. Um, how effective that will be, I don't know, of course. Um, I think that there is a risk there that we are devaluing student work if we allow AI to assess it rather than the personal teacher who knows that young person better than anybody. I think it takes away a little bit of that relationship element. Um, but if it is done right, this could be a significant pivot or a turning point in our education landscape. Um, I, I think that classroom practitioners will be and, and probably should be willing to give it a go and see where it could be used. But certainly with caution, surely, you know, every school at the moment must be drafting up policies around the use of AI and, and thinking about where it will fit within their, their offer and their approach. Um, certainly don't think 2024 will be the last of this discussion. I would imagine we'll be talking about it again this time next year. I totally agree. I think it's something that uh, isn't going to go away and we just need to find a way to embrace it with with the appropriate parameters. Andy, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. Like I've seen some great um, lessons that have incorporated AI from a teacher planning perspective. I've seen um, art lessons where they're studying art that has been um, created by artists and then comparing that with art created by AI and doing some fascinating analytical work. Um, you know, we, we've talked about it could be used to create and mark and assess multiple choice um, quizzes, for example. So there's some great benefits there. Um, I think we're just at the start of it that, you know, I was reading about a school um, in America, I think it was Austin, um, where it's a private sector school and, and their day now starts with two hours of AI bespoke tuition. And the students are learning things like public speaking, um, how to create self-driving cars, um, 
huge amounts of things that we wouldn't normally find on the curriculum and that is all delivered by AI with just a teacher who's a kind of guide on the side rather than the teacher being the one that's delivering the input um, so hugely fascinating models um, that school I was talking about is very expensive to attend its private sector and I think that's maybe one um, thing for us to create you know to, to keep an eye on is that whilst it is exciting we, we don't want AI to be something that widens our achievement gap and our opportunity gap between the richest and the poorest in society um, hopefully it could be used as a tool to close that gap rather than it be something where um, the most privileged in society have access to technology and aspects of AI that others don't that, that would be a real shame if that was to be the case. That's a really interesting um, position and point of view there Andy actually and one that perhaps we all make the assumptions that AI is going to help everybody but yeah, there are going to be people that aren't sort of educated appropriately or do not have the you know, access to these systems, etc. So, you know, is it going to widen the gap and the education challenge? Staff retention and recruitment. We couldn't have this conversation in 2024 to start the year again. Um, last year was sort of a series of disruptions and, and impact. So, again, it, it's it's proving to be quite a big debate. There was actually a paper published on the 12th of December um, in the UK House of Lords around teacher recruitment and retention. And just to sum it up here, it says in general, over the past decade, the overall number of teachers in state funded schools has not kept pace with increasing pupil numbers. This means the pupil to teacher ratio has increased for 17.1 in November 2010 to 18 in November 22. In addition, the teacher vacancy rate has risen over this period. So it's a massive, massive issue um, and definitely something that we need to discuss and debate here. So what so what do we think? Do we think that uh, we're going to be paid? Will the pay increase work? How will the high profile of teacher mental health concerns around Ofsted impact recruitment? Andy, what are your thoughts on this? For me, this is a real worry and I work full time in schools. I see how difficult it is to fill vacancies. Um, I see adverts that we put out that don't get a single applicant. Um, and that, that's tough and schools are trying to become more and more creative. Um, but schools are fighting over a smaller and smaller pool of talent that's available. Um, and the thing that worries me with it is we know that historically trends in education recruitment, um, more people do teacher training when the economy isn't doing so well because it's a stable income, it's public sector, it's, um, you know, there's some perks and benefits with that. So the, if history repeats itself, it is likely that as the economy improves and graduate jobs increase again and their salaries become more and more competitive, that teacher recruitment will therefore contract even further. Um, I think last week the statistics were released that teacher training recruitment is currently at 50% of the target. Um, so that is hugely worrying for how that impacts on who are the bodies that we're putting in front of our children in the coming years if we can only recruit 50% of the teachers that are needed. It's going to be uh, such a challenge and, and there does need to be significant investment. Lorna, what are your thoughts on this? I think that um, even the monetary packages that are sometimes offered as those golden hellos into education at the moment might not cut the mustard anymore, if I'm honest, because um, 
people thinking of going into the education sector are so put off by the negative press around workload, stress levels, mental health, um, that they decide it's just not even for them in, in some places. Um, a school that I've been working with recently, um, I was speaking to the, the principal and, and he said he has a number of teachers who are on long-term absence at the moment and therefore he's having to pay effectively double salaries because he's paying those uh, staff to, to, to be at home but also having to get supply teachers in and of course that has a really big impact on the, the school finance system and, and we know that budgets are already incredibly tight. Um, so how, how this will pan out in 2024? Well somebody's gonna have to do something very quickly and, and radically because um, our children and young people deserve the best teachers, people who are passionate as well, not just people who are there for lip service, not just people who are there because it's a stable job, but, but who really want to invest in these young people and give them the energy and the um, effort that, that this job and, and they deserve. I think it's um, really interesting, Laura, and I think there's a lot that we could do within our current framework um, to try and support teacher workload, wellbeing, retention, but um for me the the more challenging aspects are when you look at um recruitment trends across the country in all sectors two of the things that um the workforce says that they hugely value and look for in a job number one is autonomy over their day they like to decide what work they do in what order and and how they work and as a main skill teacher, you have very little autonomy over your day. It's timetabled for you. It's structured for you. There's very little flexibility with that. And the second thing is that flexibility to work from home, flexible hours, drop your kids off and then work and catch up the hours later on. Um, book your holidays when you want to take some long weekends. Those things aren't currently possible in our current education system. So um, I think we lose a lot of people because of that, probably particularly um when people have children um, which is often at a time when they're an experienced teacher who's honed their craft and become an expert at what they do my own wife had 15 years working in schools had a children and then decided that being a teacher was no longer compatible with that family life so i think there's some huge challenges um for us to face that are going to need some very creative solutions if we're going to hold on to that workforce it, it is looking at sort of progressive uh, opportunities around work-life contracts and work-life balance to sort of try and encourage uh, those kind of people like your wife back to the uh, the school environment. Um, so let's hope we can get a bit more creative, very excited to actually see some of the opportunities as well that are out there um, and uh, sort of more sort of part-time options, et cetera, to uh, support our schools. This week we had news about from the House of Laws Committee uh, commenting on education for 11 to 16 year olds and has warned that they find the current secondary education system too focused on academic learning and written exams and has suggested even that the English baccalaureate should be abandoned. The announcement fueled lots of response from very concerned stakeholders that the government's gone too far or for too long been quick to swing between ideas too quickly and that the disruption would not be of benefit to schools. It'd be interesting to hear your comments here, Lorna. Well, I, I think that 
there'll be some very worried people in schools regarding this at, at the moment, although we don't know yet what sort of traction it's going to get. You know, we do often hear mumblings coming out of Westminster of different committees' opinions, and sometimes it comes to fruition, sometimes it doesn't. But if this is one that is you know, going to be rolled out, then I think that it'll have a massive impact on secondary schools who have for the last few years really worked to craft their curriculum, to have the breadth of skills and knowledge in there for students to be able to successfully complete the EBAC um, if that's the right thing for them. They will have staffed certain areas in, in um, specific departments to make sure that they have the right skills there to specialise in, in teaching for those subjects. And those young people will no doubt have um, been told of the, the value and the importance of the EBAC from the DfE's perception. When this was rolled out, of course, the DfE um, really put this qualification suite on a pedestal as being the most prestigious um, suite of, of subjects that a young person could leave school with. Um, and I think to backtrack on that after such a small space of time would be um, potentially quite damaging. On the other hand, though, of course, wherever there's a challenge, there's always an opportunity. I suppose the question would be, what fills this gap? What is next? Um, TBC, I would suggest. Yes, I totally agree with you, Lorna. And I, I think let's let's hope that they approach it with a bit of caution. I'm not sure that schools are necessarily ready to go through that level of dramatic change to work at exactly what they need to achieve. There's too many other uh, focuses and, and issues out there to actually look at throwing everything up in the air again and starting all over. So let's move on and start uh, thinking about something that's becoming such a, a really high health risks for young people and actually becoming a bit of a, a a pandemic in its its own right. So vaping, arguably the greatest health risk for young people in current times. Lorna, what's your thoughts and experience on this? Well, it's just such a great worry, both in terms of young people's health, but also environmental risk as well. So many of these vapes are disposable and um, are, are littering the streets and are not being recycled correctly. Um, there's, there's so many challenges. But if we're going to focus just on young people's health, I think we really need to get on top of some of the advertising around this. Now, my understanding is that advertising vaping is actually uh, prohibited. But in my town alone, there are a number of these vape stores which have in their windows very small text that says stop smoking. And then in huge font, it says start vaping. So as you walk past or drive past, the message there is come here, start vaping. It's really cool. It's really exciting. Now, that is such a, a damaging message for these young people. And some of the schools that I work in at the moment have reported that the odourless vapes now are becoming a real problem area for them because they're so much more difficult to catch and police. Um, previously or, or typically, I'm personally not a vapor, so I don't know, but I believe that they have been um, flavoured and scented so you could smell uh, citrus fruits or apple or whatever it might be. Now that they're odourless, of course, it's far easier for a young person to have that vape with them and smoke on school grounds. 
And even more worryingly, you may have seen in the press at the end of 2023, um, a couple of schools in the southeast of Long of England um, sent letters home regarding um, some Class B drugs being smoked through vapes, um, which has become increasingly uh, popular in certain parts of, of young person um, culture. Um, how to overcome that problem? Well, it is a very difficult one. It's about PSHE education, it's about parental engagement, and it's about making those health risks really um, prominent for young people to see so they can make their own informed decision. Absolutely. I think schools need some support with this as well to to sort of know what the the uh, total sort of approach should be around that. And and yeah, I likewise, they're, they're short, they're small, they're colourful, they look cool. They're attracting younger and younger children to to start vaping. And, and as we know, it's highly addictive as well, which is um, um, we're not yet sure about the health implications really uh, sort of for longer term as well. So um, let's hope that we can get support for schools and, and policies in place to sort of manage those. And finally, the Home Education Register, will it finally be passed as law? What do we think about this, Lorna? Well, it was interesting to see, Georgie, that this was blocked from the most uh, recent King's speech. Um, I was reading that, um, the members of the DfE Council had proposed to get this through King Charles's most recent speech to make it law, but it was blocked at the last minute. Um, I'm unclear as to the reasons why that would be, but there's clearly controversy around it. Now, to me, it makes perfect sense to have an elective home education register. Um, virtual schools across the country are already doing a brilliant job in supporting young people who can't access mainstream education. Um, but there's massive safeguarding implications around uh, some home education. There's the support that families need to do it well. Um, there's the implication on entering public examinations. I think a central register would be really useful for local authorities. Um, uh, so I, I would personally be in favour of it. Let's see if it does finally come to fruition in 2024. Let's hope so. Let's hope we get some decisions finally around um, the Home Education Register. I think it's something that paramount for safeguarding and awareness of um, how our children are all being supported around education. So that's just a few of the things that are bubbling along and key discussions for 2024. So we we thank I thank you so much, Lorna and Andy, for joining us today and um, for our conversations and our topics. And we've got some great sort of areas that we're going to be covering this year. So we hope that you're going to continue to listen to the After the Bell podcast in 2024. We've got over 3000 listeners now and we're continuing to grow. So we really appreciate and we hope that you find these useful. Thank you so much to our guests for these insights and looking forward to see how these focuses play out in 2024. You can pick up our After the Bell podcasts, which are released on a weekly basis and provide quick tips and discussions with our experts around all things educational. Hopefully you can access this on your daily commute, on your treadmill or as your focus for the day. Thank you for listening to After the Bell.